Welcome to something like that with Nav. Hey, it's a brand new year. Uh, of course, not exactly brand new. When uh, the last episode we had, we just kicked in uh, into 2021. And uh, right now is already uh, uh, almost the second week of February. Time seems to be flying really fast. Uh, okay, on today's show is going to be slightly different from the usual. Well, we had artists, we had bands, we had movie directors, we had actors, stand-up comedians, you name it, uh, beat makers, producers. And uh, today's guest is slightly different from the uh, usual uh, list that we have. And the reason being is because I just had this this thought in my mind a few days back. It's like everybody knows about live uh, bands. You know, you walk into clubs, you see bands, you get entertained by them. I'm talking about the live bands that you see in pubs and clubs or uh, whichever you weddings and so on you know every day you go there you get entertained by them but the question is does anybody actually know what happens behind the scenes what do they do what does it take to be in a live band and of course the evolution of live bands from the i don't know from say 80s till today and uh, i wanted to have somebody from the band scene to come on board but then again I, that will be a tough choice because I have to select, choose the bands, you know, which bands would be right, which would be wrong. I don't know. So the best person to have a chat with is the guys who make the band sound really good. And also they are in charge of uh, uh, who uh, managing bands, bringing artists from a part or other, bringing bands from other parts of the world uh, to Malaysia. So this one particular dude, I've, been, I've known him for a very, very long time. He is responsible of making bands look and sound good and uh, of course there's a term for it uh, they, they used to use this term called audio engineers in my time we used to call them sound men which i kind of find it uh, much much more interesting sound men sounds super heroic you know this audio engineer is audio engineer thing makes it sound like as though he's working for a i don't know factory or something like that i don't know it might sound sophisticated but that word audio engineer engineer doesn't seem to be less oomph as sound man so i'm going to bring him on board he's known his name is anthony but of course he's known as dr sound in the entertainment scene Tony, my man dr sound yo nester how are you man i'm doing good man i'm doing absolutely good but uh, oh yeah before i forget uh if you're listening to this particular podcast right now please be prepared to listen to words that is not usually heard during interviews uh, the profanity, profanity, <laughs> profanity level might just hit it to another level in this particular shows. You might hear words like fucker, punda, and all, kota, whatever stuff like that on this particular show. <laughs> because it might just slip. I know this guy for a very long time. We have weird conversations <laughs> off air. So this thing's the words might just come in out of the blue. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Okay, this is norm. This is an absolute normal thing. How have you been, man? It's been a while since we uh, saw each other. It's a couple of years. Yeah, ago. it is. It is. It is. It's been a very long time, actually. I'm now uh, what you call a kampong boy. Kampong boy? You're back in Melaka? Uh, no, I'm not back in Melaka. Hey, sorry, you're Penang. Penang, Penang. Penang boy. Penang kia. Penang kia. Penang kia. Forgot. Forgot. Penang boy. Penang. Not Melaka. Penang. <laughs> you're back I'm, in Penang. I'm sorry, but yeah, from, originally from Penang, I started off and uh, moved to KL, 30 years in KL, and now I'm in Malacca. <laughs> Hence, now and now I know why it's so peaceful in KL, man. The yeah, tell me all about <laughs> it. Uh, I, I see, you see, you see. You, 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 you made the best move, man. Seriously, get out of KL. Uh, 
I'm sick and tired of KL already. If I give, give it a chance, I also want to balik kampung to Ipoh lah. Oh, you Ipoh Mali, yeah? I Ipoh Mali lah. You saw all the northern guys lah. Tada bunyi, eh? Tada bunyi earlier at the intro, I was just mentioning about this thing about audio engineers and all. I mean, of course, audio engineers sound sophisticated and all, but it, the term sound man seems to be like, it has that oomph factor in it. You know? It's like whenever you do events or in the club or whatever, anything to do with sound, hey, uh, check with the sound man, check with the sound man. You know, nobody says audio engineer, right? Actually, uh, to be very honest, I never dared call myself a sound engineer until people called me a sound engineer and labeled yeah. me once. Well, yeah, because- okay, let's put it this way. Back in the 80s, Right, that's when, which when I started it off, uh, there weren't sound engineers in Malaysia. There was a handful. <laughs> okay. Exactly what I'm showing you. This was the handful, you know. <laughs> really? Yeah. I thought there yeah. were a bunch of them. Uh, well, okay. You see, people get a misconception of uh, audio engineering or okay. being a sound man. You know, they think you hold a mixer, you push a few faders. You're you're the man, you know. You're the sound man already, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I started off in 1985 trying trying to play music. Okay. <laughs> and good attempts. Uh, yeah, at the age of 15, uh, well, a, a mutual friend, the Green Man, yes. and me, we formed a band. We formed a band called Euphrates. Oh, that was the first uh, band. Yes. Guess what? We were all in school. <laughs> okay. That part the fellow didn't tell me that. Okay. Oh, yeah. and a lot of things he won't tell. Me. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know lah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but you know, we 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 got the name Euphrates, and uh, out of ten uh, songs, eight of them were from Duran Duran. We were Duran Duran fans. <laughs> that explains the hairdo. <laughs> right. You see. Uh, Roger Taylor. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and Nigel Sarris, Millet at the back. Okay. He was a combination of LeBron and uh, Nick Rhodes, you know. Yeah, and occasional <laughs> Steve Vai with a hat. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's when he started uh, sorry, bowling. Stevie, Ray, St- uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Sorry, not Steve Vai. Uh, yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were the good old days, actually. Uh, I mean. Touching back on the topic that you're actually bringing up, uh, in those days when we started off in Penang, mm-hmm. for example, uh, at the age of 15, we played in a pub. We were the youngest bunch of musicians. You're allowed to play in pubs, sir. 15 years old. We weren't. Then. We weren't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, it so happens that uh, we were a group of rebels. You know? I mean, I was the main rebel. I used to cut school, go hang out with musicians and things like that. Club owners. I started my clubbing days at the age of 15, but just trying to see what the trade was all about. And uh, we actually worked for minimal wage, two beers each a night, <laughs> and enough, free man. transport home. Hey, that's good. That's and a that good was, deal, man. That was back in 1985. That's a damn good deal, man. Two beers and a transport. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> and plus, like a f- plus a small wage. Uh, okay, that too. Okay. Yeah. You know, and uh, we performed for three weeks, replacement band. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that was actually my dream at that time, from then to go into the entertainment industry. But uh, after Form 5, we formed a band. 
uh, it so happens my guitarist had seven A's. <laughs> Good news and bad news, lah. Yep. So can you imagine uh, the band members? I won't mention who, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> We actually dressed up in batik and uh, suits and everything. I went to see the guy's father. <laughs> who was actually a pengara of Kementerian Pendidikan in Penang <laughs> <laughs> and told him say to visualize uh, you guys in that outfit man right and then <laughs> we, we actually told him uncle your son should uh, not go to Singapore learn to be a doctor and play music he's gifted <laughs> <laughs> that was the best move you guys could ever make man Yeah, the father chases of the house. We were running, man. <laughs> I I'm pretty sure Nigel Green would have led the whole party, lah. Uh, actually, the two brainwaves were behind it was him and me. <laughs> oh man! And uh, typical. Now, now you know why the place like that, lah. He convinced <laughs> me to do a lot of things which I shouldn't have done, but I did it anyway because of him. Uh, well, you see, you you must know who his father is. You know the art I of know. public speaking. <laughs> I know, I know. Actually, come to think of it, he has the skills in that, lah. But think yeah, about it. Yeah. You, you had a friend who had seven A's. So eventually, you lost your guitarist. How did that go on for you? Did he get a replacement or just what disbanded? We played one gig and we disbanded. <laughs> oh man, a sad story, lah. But not actually, lah. I I look at it. It was a blessing in disguise. It gave me the option to choose what I wanted to go into, and. Uh, Of course, our good friend Nigel went into singing, and uh, he mm-hmm. formed a band called The Headlines. Okay. And uh, I became the engineer of the club. Oh, Penang lah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was all actually our brainwave uh, sitting down there, hanging out. The owner actually helped us uh, form the band, gave nice. the band a place to practice, and you know those days bands were bands. Yeah, it's a difference there. Yeah, I grew up listening to stories from Sweet September, uh, Alley Cats. You know, these were our Penang icons. Yeah. And then we had uh, bands from Kuala Lumpur, Headwind, for example. Nice. You know, Headwind came to perform in Penang. And at the age of 16, I actually went to watch Headwind in a club. And I, I watched the engineer work. And I said, one day I'm going to work for this band. Nice. And my dream came true in 1992. Wow. Still, let me know. Right. I was four. I was what two years old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me about it, man. <laughs> man, it was that was an experience, all right, man. Working with Head. I mean, Headwind was huge back then. They were really okay. huge. Now this this is something I want to talk about the live band industry, where using Hilbin as an example, all right? People used to pay, right, mm-hmm. at the clubs to sit, drink, and watch five batangs on stage, kampung pisang, you know, <laughs> and they used to pack the house. I experienced that myself. I've seen that myself. All right. Now the entertainment was all about good music. Good performances. Yeah, it's like you know the thing is this like that's one of the things I wanted to ask you earlier because the evolution of bands like you said the days that you played it was all about music people actually went there to check out the bands and it was all about the performance and good quality thing people actually packed the clubs just for the band 
it wasn't like the band right. was a side dish for you drinking. People go to drink because of the band. Right. True. Very yeah, true. That was the, you see, yeah, that was that was the eighties, early nineties. Eighty. Yeah, yeah, that's when I started going into that business because I used to be one of the DJs in one of those clubs, uh, checking out live bands. I mean, while I had live bands had breaks, I used to spin music. So I used to watch, and I used to be amazed. Yeah, I know the club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know very well. Huh? So that, those are the places used to be amazed watching this band. So what happened, man? Eighties and nineties, and now, you see, the transition took place, right? Uh, let's just say the industry killed the industry. I would say. Really? Yeah. Yeah, club owners number one. Okay. Uh, to, towards the mid nineties, right? It's not how well you play it, but how many women you had on stage. Ah, hence you explain that one keyboardist and three ladies in front there, uh, we haven't reached that stage yet. We still oh, okay, could survive, okay. all right. Okay. And uh, and then they 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 started going and getting into the women thing, mm-hmm. and then of course our foreigners came in with the one musician who looks like he's playing music, and oh, the four okay. three to four or five women in the front. Uh huh. You know. And and slowly, you know, club owners were starting to want that. Okay. You know, I mean, in those days, uh, let's just say from 1988 till 19, 1988 to 1994, 93, uh, you could still have contracts three months a three months a year. You know, in each different state. Yeah. You know, and uh, we'd have the agents coming in, you know, and saying, "Okay, your next stint is here. Your next stint is here. You're booked." You know, and they were drawing good income. Yeah, because they weren't they were not paying, being paid peanuts. I know how much most of these bands used to get. Like uh, well, some of the bands that I used to know, like bands like NRG, Alley Cats, and a couple of other guys, La Vivas, and you know, they used to get a, a paid a handsome amount to perform because they used to draw in people. And the the right. trend of them performing, I'm I'm just gonna go way back a bit before we come back to this particular thing. It's like bands, the, the discipline level, the the set, the performance was very different. I'm not I'm not saying that the current one is bad, but back then it was totally different. The preparation they went through to uh, perform on a daily basis, which was amazing. I was always in awe watching these bands, and I'm pretty sure you know well, right, about how these guys yeah. get themselves prepared. Yeah, I mean. Okay, let's look at this way. People come at night. They sit down uh, from say nine p.m. till one o'clock in the morning. They watch the band. They drink. Hey, you know, give me this song. Give me that song. You know, but they don't realize what the band actually has to go through. I could, yeah. It's you know, like, I'm, it's still, like, I'm still puzzled. How do you do that, man? Singing forty-five minutes, three sets at night, and doing it for okay, almost six or seven days a week. That's your night. That's your night work, you know. But what about yeah. the day work? What about the homework? What about catching your songs, finding the lyrics? I mean, uh, as the engineer, I had to listen to the songs also, and uh, I started following bands at the age at 1988, and I was uh, 19 at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when we tour, for example, with three months in Johor, three months in KL. Three months in Kedah, three months in Sarawak, and then we go back to Johor. You know, we we're, we're all over the place except our own home ground. You know, yeah. Okay. Always the case. Now, yeah. Number one sacrifice: family. 
all right number two is they have to work i mean it's great when we do when we go outstation for example uh, we live together yeah and uh, that's when they really get to work you know which is they have to find their songs number two they have to practice all right so imagine having to perform at night practice three times a week all right and practice is like from two o'clock in the afternoon to five o'clock in the evening that's that's if if some of the clubs allow you to do it at that time because uh based on my experience watching these bands they had to do right. it after when the club is closed so it's like yeah, imagine that... just perf- performing the whole night you're exhausted and all then take a break for an hour then come back again at three o'clock in the morning and start practicing until god knows what time ship and hard rock cafe <laughs> Hey, Chili's had that too, man. I remember Chili's, Chili's. after two or so. This. Yeah, Chili's had that after the. Yeah, yeah, Chili's, Chili's, Chili's had two. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, the engineer, the engineers, to feel so irritated that uh, <laughs> after that it came to like, hey guys, practice with monitors on stage. You know, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the sound engineer had to stay back to listen. They had to, man. Well, because they, yeah, I know. Because the I next know. day when they're going to perform, you're going to have to listen to the whole thing. But what what I'm uh, admire is like when you say going back to the homework. Uh, choosing the songs and remembering them because not everybody goes with a piece of paper in front of you and uh, sing according to the paper. Some of them actually m- memorize the entire set, even if it's new song. Memorizing the lyrics, how to play the whole song, which I'm always fascinated. If you talk about recording artists, there's only a limited songs they have in their portfolio, so they're going to perform. Let's say ten songs, they're done. But live bands, they go by hundreds of songs in in a year or in a month. Well. Uh... For example, uh, the three good bands that I actually enjoyed, uh, and I the longest I ever worked with uh, was Cash Band. Okay. All right. Uh, Freedom. And Headwind. Three, yeah. Okay. And okay, the one thing I realized and watched one and whenever I watched them practice is until they get the song perfect, right? Then they. Then only they will put it on stage. Wow. Okay, that's the first step. All right. Uh, groups like uh, Headbin took it a step further, and uh, they would improvise the music along the way. Okay. And uh, it usually starts with the drummer and the bassist, which is uh, Razak and Nikki, and then slowly the guitarists will improvise, the keyboardists will improvise, and they would turn the whole song around. So that's nice. why when you go and watch them perform, you would actually say, "Wow, you know, they're doing it their way." Nice. Actually, that's that's a very important thing. Also, uh, as a live band, you don't want to just copy paste the whole song that you listen on radio. You just perform exactly. You want to have it on your yeah, own version. I mean, you got a you got a DJ to do that after that. You know, you got Napster yeah, to exactly. do that. You know. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes, and whatever band's gonna do it, pick on the DJ. <laughs> right. And and I trust me. I think I think you have you've had this memo before. Whatever songs the band up band is playing, they've got a limited repertoire. DJ, please do not play those songs. Oh yes, many times. And I used to play it just to irritate the band if they don't come on time <laughs> or don't leave on time. <laughs> I used to do that a lot, man. If the band doesn't I, show up on time, doesn't perform well, I'll play play every single song that you play. <laughs> you know, in nineteen ninety six. Right, I was the DJ. I was the sound engineer. I was the maintenance guy. I had real hard work, man. Yeah, and you get big nuts. 
I no 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 no. I get I got paid very well. <laughs> okay, so now you know. Okay, for the sound engineers out there who got paid peanuts, you were suckers. <laughs> hey, no 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 no. Let's, don't get me wrong. Huh? I got I started getting paid peanuts. Okay. Uh, when I started in 1988, is a small club called Tip Top. Oh, All right, okay. as a sound that. engineer, right? I earn 240 ringgit a month. Transport, food, and beer provided. Which is okay, what? Eighty-eight lah. Actually, no lah. Eighty-eight was not. That was quite low, so lah. Tell me, I know. I I told my son who makes five hundred ringgit a day doing sound now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he started at the age of fourteen. Wow, following your footsteps, lah. Father, son, you know. Now both father and son are suffering through this damn pandemic, man. <laughs> <laughs> not only you, man. Not only you. All right. Before I get into that details, let's get back to the band okay. again. All right. This band, yeah, okay. okay, performing it. Okay. The the thing is, like, because I raised the question on Facebook today, which of course you responded. It's like having the bands behind the scenes. There's a lot of things involved in it. It's not only just the practice. The practice is tough. It's really tough. And of course, having uh, I'm pretty sure you've seen bands and having the right chemistry. It's like inviting a vocalist to join the band is not an easy thing. Or maybe the guitarist. How many songs does he know or she knows are getting into the band? Was that a big issue for most of these bands? In the 80s, uh, it was. In the 80s, they have an audition. Okay. If you're not good enough, you're mm -hmm. out. Oh, you know? that's serious, huh? Yep. Not, uh, you've, got, you've got like a normal job. You've got a trial period, right? Uh, they test you. They audition you. They discuss whether you're the right member to come into the band. And then it moved on to the 90s where, you know, uh, well, someone decides I, to leave. Sorry. No, I think the 90s was also not too bad, actually, because I've seen not uh, quite a good Not too bad, one. but towards the late 90s, it was, hey, so-and-so is leaving, leaving the band, you know. Okay, who can we find to replace him? And we have a strong list coming up, you know. Okay. And towards the early 2000s, it was, uh, hey, our guitarist can't make it tonight. He's got an emergency. Let's see the list who can replace him tonight. Oh. Yeah. You know, but we still had monthly contracts and things like that, you know. And towards the mid of 2005, 2006, I mean, the last time I actually handled a club was uh, Planet Hollywood. And after they closed up, I stayed away from the club scene for a while. I went into recording studios. And suddenly, I found out that, you know, bands are doing nightly gigs. That it's, is my number one question. Because uh, talking about this, the nightly gig, this happened, I think, somewhere around, uh, I don't know, 2010s? Yes, and yes. So See, after, the, did, after 2010, that's where this whole thing kicked off. Because before that, prior to that, is like you can't have bands... With no members, I mean, like you said earlier, replacing a guitarist or whatever, most of the band members I knew uh, never felt sick. For some reason, nobody's sick. Nobody ever took leave. <laughs> and it's a rare case, a very, very rare case if somebody's sick. Even the vocalist, even you're, gonna, you're about to die, also you still come and perform for the night, man. I've seen that happen true, a lot true. of times. Very it's true. Like, the dedication level was totally different. I'm not saying it's not happening now. But it's totally different. It, you cannot see any gaps. There was no gaps back then. Yeah, then right. The right now, you got a whole list of musicians you can actually pick from friends to actually come and replace, because yeah. 
repertoire is one that everybody, every other person knows. Mm. Uh, but it became a, a normal job. <laughs> okay. So yes. much so, they lost the impact of being the artist, being the guy on stage. Okay. okay. You see, I, I was the head engineer for Fire. You remember Fire? Yeah, yeah. And we used to actually audition and screen the bands before putting them on stage. Ooh. Okay, that's one. Uh, we actually have a management decision on whether we should take the band or not. All right. Uh, I mean, that was my dream come true when Hedbin, I was with Freedom in uh, Hard Rock Cafe at that time, just before they opened. Okay. And I see all the members of Hedbin walking in one by one, you know. And then I'm like, wow, Hedbin's in the house, you know. Super that was in 1990. That was in November 1992. I can remember the dates. Uh, and, it, you know, the next thing, you know, I get me, the drummer and the bassist standing at the console watching me work. And then uh, I get the keyboardist, Kudin and Hilary Ang, the guitarist, go, yeah. at that time it was Hilary, go stand to next to Alex, the keyboardist, and say, hey, dude, we're here to offer you a sound engineer. <laughs> oh. Yeah, they auditioned me. Okay. They even auditioned the sound engineer. Nice. You know, and immediately after the whole set, Nikki, who's a Penang boy, Penang Kia, mm -hmm. you know, he turned out straight. He told me straight to my face, we're here to offer you. The job is with Fire Discotheque. Are you interested? You will be our personal and permanent engineer. The thing, okay, the thing is this. Bands, do they have to select the uh, sound engineer or audio engineer, whatever you want to call it, or do they have to this go along with the clubs? Because some clubs already have the engineers, right? Do they work that way? Because I'm always confused. I never really asked this question to any of the audio engineers before. Do you do the bands select the audio engineers, or do they is an option for them? It's an option. Okay. Uh, you see, I started off with uh, the bands that I worked with. Uh, uh, I I had a, a thing that uh, look here, you know, because I'm doing. I mean, I was labeled the most glamorous engineer at that time. You know, I kind of worked in a trench coat. I had my hair long hair. It used to be dyed like five colors thing, you know. Right? I get more women than any of them. That's the important one. It was a thing, you know. It was a thing. It was a competitive thing, you know. That's all in the portfolios. Yeah. But, but you see, at the end of the day, it was... There was not, it was not a recognized trait to have a sound engineer. Not only for the bands, but even for the clubs. Okay. All right, the band would have to go to a club, right? And the mixer will be on stage and you do your own sound. Oh, okay. Now, here comes this band in 1989 onwards called Cash Band. And they say, mm -hmm. look here, you know. Whatever you provide the band members, we've got one extra member, which is our sound engineer. He gets all the same benefits, right? And if your equipment is on stage, he's on stage with us. Which is fair, fair enough, because you know, this audio engineer will know the band's sound. Yeah. And uh, I was one of the few who were working with bands in that time, you know? And that's why I got a chance to travel with them throughout Malaysia live with them, you know, eat with them, uh, understand the lifestyle, 
we went through hardships together, uh, good times together, and it was not an easy life. Okay, but the bonding. Everybody keeps like... saying, everybody keeps saying, you know, being being they call us band boy at that time, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the term, band boy, band boy, yeah, uh, band boy, yeah. Oh, being the band boy. <laughs> Uh yeah, we were treated good, good food. Uh, but there was there was a thing about accommodation at one time. You know, they start when the influx of the foreign bands were in. They started mm-hmm. treating the local bands like that. They put you in one beaten up apartment and things like that. You know, and uh, of course, the best is when you whenever you work for hotels. Yeah, you get the hotel rooms itself. You get everything, you know, down there. But not yeah. all the time. Not all the time, you know. Sometimes uh, they give you a, how they call it, a rumakadai, you know. You stay on the top there. You have mattress, the, those thin, foamy mattresses, you know. Rumah bujang. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. bujang kind of style, you know. And, uh, okay. of course, we had agents that time that actually fought for us. You know, uh, the industry had good agents like the late Grand Pereira, uh, Mr. K. Selvaraj. Late Stephen uh, Joseph. Stephen Joseph. Yeah, man. Oh, see, I, you, you mentioned that name. I get my head. I'm getting goosebumps, yeah. man. Stephen was He's a listening guy. to us. He's yeah, a he great guy, good. man. <laughs> How you laugh, you know. I used to call him, Nigel and me used to call him Brutus. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Some stories that we can't share on this broadcast, love. But you, of course, know, like, of course, of course. <laughs> it was a fun guy. It was a great guy, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and you had those kind of managers who's actually they they knew to uh, how they could fight the price for the bands, uh, all the extra perks for the bands. They kept the bands very well. They kept them tight and they promoted them in a right way where clients won't actually compromise on anything. It's like okay, fine. You want this band, they'll come in, they'll perform, but they have to get X amount of this, 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 and this is the prize going on. These are good managers, right? Right, yeah. You see, okay, uh, that was that was up to the early 90s, as we said, you know. Uh, you see, when I say that everybody had a hand in killing the industry, mm-hmm. uh I mean, sad to say, in those days, band members used to dress up. Yep, I remember that too. All right. Now, it came to a time where you go into a club and you look and you don't see the band members around. You know, you sit down, you see this guy who looks like you. Next, You might be dressed better than him <laughs> and all. And next thing you know, the guy walks up on stage and says, Hey, welcome back to the next set, you know? <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, you get what I mean? That, yeah, I know because, that's... like I said, I'm not. I'm sorry for interrupting because, like I said, I wanted to ask you this also because the evolution of these bands, the transition, it's like it was. I'm sorry, like I said, I'm not putting any bands down. It's not to say that they're bad or whatever, but back then everything was kind of fixed as like an artist. You looked at a band as an artist. They come in, they perform how they look, the appearance, the songs they perform, how they perform. It was totally different until the after the 2010s, like what you said, how they dress and how they come up on stage and perform. It has changed. Why? Yeah, but you see, it was not their fault. The, you okay. see, uh, for example, is the the money became smaller. Inflation. Oh. All right? Okay. Now, to dress up, it's going to cost you money. 
one. Mm. Okay. Right? Apart from that, they need to spend money on uh, upgrades of their equipment. Uh, drummer has to buy drumsticks. Guitarist has to change guitar strings. It's not cheap. All right? Now, let's just say the current average musician earns about the same what he used to earn 20 years ago, right? Which is bad. Which is supposed to be increasing, man. Yeah. You know, if he's earning the same what he earned 20 years ago, that means inflation is kicking in for him, right? He can't afford to dress up, right? He's got things to buy, equipment. He's got to concentrate on uh, livelihood. You know, so at the end of the day, what happens? The bands become smaller. They become daily musicians. Uh, the club stops hiring bands uh, every night on monthly contracts. Right? Uh, and uh, the influx of uh, okay, the I foreign get it. bands. <laughs> okay. You know? So... I mean, okay, uh, for example, I, I, in 1996, okay. 95 actually, I, I was working for this club called Zodiac. I don't know if you heard of it. Bukit Bintang. Yeah, behind KL Plaza. Yes, yes. You used to have good tea, uh, tea, time, tea dance or whatever they call it. Tea dance. <laughs> Guess what, man? It, it, that's how I met my wife, actually. She followed me to the church at 6 o'clock in the morning, stood oh. outside there, deli- giving out flyers on the first idea for tea dance. Ah, and we okay, okay. packed the place and for a, for a one-shop lot club, right? we were making 25K to 30K a day on a Sunday. Ooh. Friday and Saturday Ooh. can't touch. Friday and Saturday sales is equivalent to Sunday sales. Oh, that explains it, man. Okay, okay, okay. Right? Yeah, now I know. Now I regret not going that much. <laughs> <laughs> Pare. Pare. Ah, your beer, very good, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> you be know what happens on Sunday night after that. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the amount of kuli kalans that be there, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, it was a nice thing last Sunday. No, but the thing is, like, that, that's where uh, you had bands from abroad also, right? Yeah. those. You see, I was a part. I, I As the general manager of the club, I actually went to Manila to choose my own bands. Okay. And uh, it so happens that a good friend of mine was Aguila's guitarist. Oh. Yeah, his name is Roly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I actually uh, he used to, we used to catch up every night I went to watch him play he was performing at the Shangri-La mm-hmm. do you know how long their contract is and how long they've been playing at the Shangri-La as how a long? class A band alright it's Wait, a Filipino it's class Shangri-La A band uh, KL? no no Shangri-La Philippines <clears throat> okay how long? close to 8 years that long huh? You see, there's a permanent employment the, already, dude. The class A bands, the good bands, don't leave leave the Philippines. Okay. So whatever we get in Malaysia that we call class A is actually class B already. Oh, okay. And then when we came to the class C's, you know, it was just a show. Fillers, lah. Yeah. 
So I'll give you an example which a lot of uh, my old friends from the industry in the 80s used to tell me. You know, that time we used to have very, very good Filipino bands that perform. Okay. And it's, it is an immigration law that whenever there's a foreign band, there has to be a local band to support the band. Okay. So now, because we had really good bands at that time, right, it was like a competition, a very, uh, how to say, a very uh, productive competition. Okay. Each one would, would, would try and outdo the other, sound better than the other, try and be to outdo and and that's why in the 80s we could walk into a club with a filipino band and a local band and they would both sound awesome it's a tough competition actually yes number one number two both bands would dress up they're trying to raise the bar for each other la. yes you know and then uh, for example in the 90s in the early 90s the highest paid local band was Fredo and the Flintstones. Really? Yep. Okay, Fredo. Okay, Fredo. Personally, I've only seen him on uh, during events, but uh, never in the clubs yet, la. When? When? What year? I don't know. Maybe two thousands, late nineties, something like that. I can't recall. It was he, you should have seen him in the early nineties, okay. with all the glitter and the band members were all dressed up in glitters. All right. I mean, let's just say. I, I don't want to mention the figures, right? But for every other band that was performing, Fredo was making double the amount. Whoa. That's a lot. And he would <laughs> he would challenge and he, if he's listening to this, he would he would agree, you know. He would challenge the club owner, you know, say, look here, you don't make one million dollars this month or half a million dollars, whatever his target was, right? You don't pay me. Wow, is that that good? <laughs> He was, he was an entertainer. You see, in those days, we had the show bands. We had uh, the, the real live bands who were playing rock music and live music, the way the improvised stuff and things like what Hedwin was doing, Freedom, uh, Cash Band and all. The show bands that were mainly the Filipinos where they would actually uh, have a stint in the second set where for about 50... I think, yeah, at the ship, you know, you used to see a lot of that. Yeah. Bands like XPO, Teenage Revival. I don't remember those names. You uh, know? Not really. I think that was uh, before my time. The yeah, ship but was before was, my time. Yeah, but they were superb Filipino bands at that time. I used to enjoy working with them, watching them perform, you know, and I, you know, and that, that was the time where everybody dressed up. The local bands, the Filipino bands, they, it was it was pro competition that was good, you know, and they sounded good on both sides, until no. the industry slowly started going down, 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 down. It never came up. But I think that was the later part of the years because, I, based on what my personal experience of uh, seeing these bands. Uh, I, I was in the era of people like, say, Nine, Nine Lives still do perform uh, before this MCO. Uh, when Nine Lives was still in the early stages, um, of course, Cats with the Alley Cats were going on and they were pretty strong. Bands like NRG were still strong and La, right. La Vivas. And th they were going pretty strong and they were bringing, raking in a lot of money for the clubs also because I could recall that uh, whenever there's a New Year's Eve party or Christmas Eve party, you can't walk in the club. It, from the DJ console to the entrance, it takes me a good... 30 minutes 
of 20 minutes. That's how <laughs> packed these guys would bring in. The amount of people that rake in. Clubs will make at least about 100 grand a night. Yep. I remember one, one, of the, one of the nights, Energy uh, was performing and the club actually made, uh, or rather the pub, club, pub or club, whichever you want to call it, actually made 100 grand on a Friday night. True. So true. So they were bringing in, raking in big bucks. And of course, the name carried weight because uh, during that era when I was spinning uh, somewhere around there, 2000s, 90s, 2000s and all, the band, the place was always packed not because of the promotions they had on the drinks or whatever like that. It was because the band who were performing there. So you know, you go, you go to a club based on who's performing and clubs had to maintain that standard. They cannot just drop, bring any Tom, Dick and Harry into the club to perform. They had to pay money. They had to make sure they had that, that so-called A-class acts or whatever you want to call it in the club in order for them to maintain it. You just can't have something so high one month following month you have the Kuchingura band and that's it everything will be ruined so they had to maintain that standard and that was going on at least until as as far as I could recall until at least the year about 2010 um, maybe slightly over that but I think the thing of dropping kicked in after that when they started having gigs nightly gigs instead of monthly contracts yeah I, I would look at it more uh, it started around 2006 2007 you know, but I, I left the club scene at that time. Uh, a lot had to do with that that fall, actually. And clubs had a big part of it to do also. You know, they, they, they lost a lot of money when, you know, the clubs came in. Yeah, that's one of it. Right? And that started in the mid-90s. 1996-97, I remember. And then, of course, we had the... You can only operate until 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. Oh, yeah, that uh, was one stupid season. Yeah, I mean, okay, we, we, we say no politics, you know, but yeah. No, no, it, no I, mean, it, I mean, season, I'm talking it was, about season. <laughs> it was an effect. It was an effect. I mean, can you imagine? I was in Barnum's at that time. Okay. I was the DJ there, all right? Ooh. Yeah, man, I spin, Ooh. I spin, speed. <laughs> I do speed mixing, okay, all right, by the bars, okay? I don't look at the computer and just go shit, 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 shit. Old school, old school. Old school, man, old school. Uh, but yeah, you see, I used to do the Macarena on stage or so, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was a compulsory thing for us. You had to, la. If you're a DJ back then, you must play Macarena. You don't play, you're not a, you're not a good DJ, man. So imagine, ima no. Playing it is one. Doing it on stage is another. You know, I had a boss like Kenchia, so you can imagine, <laughs> la, you know. <laughs> Don't remind me, man. Don't remind me of all that. But you know, oh, you see, even even on the DJ side, all right. We don't we don't talk about live bands only. In the DJ sites, when we had clubs like Beetle Nut, I don't know if you mm. heard of being Beetle Nut. Yeah, I have, I have. You know, yeah. we had DJs like Skin, Robert Ma, you know, Francis Core, where the DJs actually entertain. Yeah. At the same it time, was, you know, it was it was a compulsory thing. Even because when I was playing back then, it was a compulsory thing that your DJs have to interact with the crowd. You got to keep the party going, not just play music. You know, you have to talk on the mic. You have to do some games, do something. You work hand in hand with the band. Also, bands entertain. DJs also entertain at the same time. I'm not talking about just a plain club thingy, but as a as a fun pub or fun clubs, you had to do it. It was like a compulsory part of your job. Yeah. I, I haven't been clubbing in a while, but let me just ask you these questions, right? 
how many clubs have that now? Yeah, that's a very good question. I haven't visited clubs in a very long time, but based on what I hear, well, I, you hardly find that. Everybody, most of them were uh, kind of a jukebox thing going on. Yeah. You know, it, it, it doesn't only go out to live bands. It's also club DJs, pub DJs. Uh, I mean, happy hour used to be the great time where you actually interact with the customers, talk to them. You know, I mean, uh, when I when I DJed for three years, now 95, 96, 97, two and a half years. All right, I started happy hour straight up to the night, the disco sets and things like that. And all right, I chose to stop drinking alcohol after that. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. We all did, man. We all did. <laughs> <laughs> I reached the stage where I said, after today. No more. <laughs> I could imagine that. Wife would be imagine. like, wife would be complaining that I'd be crawling back drunk every night. You know. I think I think yeah, anybody that, who's been in the scene at that particular time, there's there's a particular time of your life you'll say like, no, like, fuck it, I don't want to do it anymore, man. I just want to drink it and don't want to touch alcohol. I don't want to smoke. I don't want to do anything. We all true, been there. True. We all we all been there. You know, we've all experienced it. And but but the sad thing is. You don't find that anymore in clubs. Yeah, you don't, it's, it's, it's sad. I, I mean, I don't want to sound old. I don't want to sound old. I do. It's not like we're sounding ill. It. I know things evolve. You know, it's a transition. It's a period. It's a trend that goes on. At one phase, is going to be like this. The next phase is going to be like that. But now, the the movements of this so-called phase that's happening right now is it good or is it bad? That is my number one question. Because you see, all the stuff that we just spoke about for the past ten minutes were exciting times. Times that actually generated revenues, you know, the bands, the DJs, people spending money to come in. But when did this all change? Like you said, we have a particular year, of course, trends of uh, when Bangsa started kicking in. Bangsa didn't have bands. It was just pubs going on with cheap alcohol. So the hotel clubs actually had to compete with this kind of bands. And then when halfway through, they realized like, okay, it doesn't matter if I have an expensive band, as long as I sell something, I cut my costs on the bands and just focus on the alcohol promotion. And that, that took place for a phase of time. And currently, it's like, I am so confused. I was actually talking to some of the live bands and also some of the managers. It is totally different than what it used to be because they say, say the same thing like what you said. People kind of neglected on investing in themselves when it comes to performing. Unless they've been in the old school. For, I mean, they've been performing for many, many years. But the newer generation of musicians have changed very much. Is that the case? Do you think that this so-called switch or transition is good or bad for the market? You took the words right out of my mouth, actually. It's a, it was a domino effect. Okay. You know, and, 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 and it's, it's going to take the combination of everyone. I mean, let's not talk PKP. Put PKP aside. You know, even if it was PKP, you know, like I said, musicians are earning the same thing they were earning 20 years ago, right? Which is bad, you know? But, uh, you know, 20 years ago, a musician could make an average of five to six grand a month. Yeah, that was each. the key. You know? Then it slowly got down to, I think now the average musician, uh, when they perform, they earn about two to three hundred ringgit a night. That's That's... That's very low, man. That's if you perform every night. Okay. 
That's yeah. If you, okay. you get it, but now nowadays it's like if I'm not mistaken, it's at least about three gigs a week, lah. They talk about Friday right. night, Saturday night, and maybe on a Wednesday or a Sunday. Okay, that's number one. Number two, how many of them are full bands? When we talk full band, minimum five piece. Oh, that's going to be tough. Yeah, I see. Club owners have re- heavily realized why should I hire a seven piece or an eight piece band when I can get the same entertainment with a three piece or a four piece? And they be, you see, the what you mentioned earlier on the sideline, they actually put themselves on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel, you know. But to bring that, to bring that, that, uh, that thing we had. In the 80s and the 90s, back again, right? We need a combination not only from the bands, but from the clubs and the club owners. I mean, I do, I do sound, all right. Okay. I'll honestly tell you, when I go to a club, they call me in. You know, there's been so many complaints, bad sound, and things like that, and all. That's that's how Doctor Sound came in, you know. <laughs> and the first thing, <laughs> first thing I realized is the entertainment. The sound and the band was the last thing they thought of. Very, very true. I, <clears throat> I've seen this before. I've heard this before many times. And then when I tell them, hey, you know, the sound engineers got to be in front of the band. You know, you got to pull the mixer out there and uh, set it up and things like that. And all. You know what they say? Uh, the DJ cannot do ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Safe course. Uh, DJ will be the sound you, man. DJ will be the gang, lighting man. Yeah, be everything. You know, you tell them, you tell them, hey, look here. You know, you got to spend about two thousand ringgit, two thousand five hundred ringgit to, to, to get a good sound engineer or a sound man. You know, mm-hmm. and they say, wow, so high, ah, nama lah. You teach my DJ what to on, what to off, and the band play, and then you let them jaga themselves, lah. For them, it's just this so, a deco is becoming a deco decoration piece during nightly affairs. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's sad. It's sad, you know. That's why when I worked with those good bands that I I mentioned, you know, we made it a point whether the sound engineer is on stage, off stage, behind the stage, side of the stage. They actually, I mean, I reach a stage where I actually earn a, a equal share with the band. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That sound you know, makes me want to consider my reconsider my career, man. <laughs> I do have short courses on that, no? <laughs> yeah, but you see, back in the days, I used to hold uh, club contracts. I used to supply engineers, you know. And uh, there was a requirement. There was a requirement for good sound. There was a requirement for uh, bands to perform well. You know, for example, uh, I was supplying engineers to Planet Hollywood. I was supplying engineers to Holiday Villa. Uh, that's when I I got out of the scene myself. I just supplied, and I used to work in the recording studio at the daytime. Mm, you know that explains and, it. And uh, yeah, I I just go around checking on my engineers. If any big problems, then they call me in and things like that. But clubs actually recognize that they need good bands, that they need good sound. You know. And it was not a side piece. It was not a side act. All right. Uh, club managers, club owners will say, "Bands, you have to dress up. You know, you your your dressing and things like that." And all. And that's one of the reasons why uh, you could actually demand 
at that time. You know, it, that you don't have to dress up all glitter and glamour, you know, but you, you have to look the artist. True. Because the thing is, like, yeah. when, I, when I, we're talking about this, like, appearance and all, does that does the venue also play an important role? Because, like, say, like, investing in bands and investing in yourself, your sound and all, these are things that places with big cash, uh, cash flow in hand could do. Like, say, for example, hotels. It's like a requirement for you, in order for you to have a five-star or six-star rating, you got to have X amount of things going on in your club so you, you can't have the budget to spend. But these days, you can also see there's a lot of cafes Cafes, small pubs, shop lot pubs, and so on, which can't exactly cater for a full piece band. Hence, the reason why you have sessions or gigs or one one man show going on. Do you think that could be the reason why? Because yeah, the trend of domino the, the effect. establishment, the establishment, domino effect, domino effect. Like what I said, you know, you don't gone with the days. You find clubs like uh, Piccadilly. Uh, you find clubs like Fire. I'll give you an example. Uh, being the head engineer of Fire at that time, right? On opening night, all right, which was New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety-three. Okay. All right. Now, Fire was a club that had two sections, three sections actually. All right. As you walk in, you have the disco area. Yep. All right. Then you walk in deeper. You go into the live band area. All right. And the top floor, you have the KTV rooms. All right. Now you could hold that club could hold about four thousand people on a packed day. Yeah, I remember the size of it. Yeah, it was a huge place, man. Okay. Now, I ask hey, you. This is the on fire opening night of Shangri-La, right? Yep. Okay. Now yeah. on on opening night, which was New Year's Eve, uh, nineteen ninety two to nineteen ninety three. All right. At 10 o'clock at night, the whole management was sitting at the warong opposite the club and saying, shit, you know, is this <laughs> going to be the right thing? <laughs> you know, there's nobody, there's nobody walking in, you know, you know, with all the advertisement and New Year's Eve, you know, what else going on, you know? Uh, <laughs> did we do enough promotion, you know? So we said, let's walk over to Hard Rock Cafe and see how they're doing. <laughs> you know? Now, we managed to walk Halfway around Shangri-La. And next thing you know, all walkie-talkies were blasting. Full management team, get your asses back here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and when we walked back, the line was from the club, which was the end of Lorong P. Ramli, right? Right up to the front of the road. Whoa. That was the queue at 11.15. Yeah, fire used to have late crowds. It's always right. nobody. You find you hardly find anyone before ten o'clock, eleven o'clock there. Okay, now give me a wild guess, lah. Four thousand packs, right? Drinks were sold at fourteen ringgit. You get two beers or two uh, pouring brands or soft drinks, all right? For fourteen ringgit, lah. Plus okay. your uh, entrance charge, I think it was about eighteen ringgit. You pay eighteen ringgit, you go to the club. Uh, you get to spend time at a disco. You go to the live band area. You see two top bands, uh, which was Headwind performing with Rima Razif from Singapore. You get uh, the second band, which would be uh, Ramli Sarip and a band called Fireball. Okay. Uh, in between, you have party DJs, right? Now, on opening night, I'll give you three guesses how much they made. 
please. Don't give, don't give me tough questions, all man. Give me give, give me the options. Yeah. Three options. I'm bad in math. Uh, three, three options, ah. Huh? Okay, uh -huh. you got five figures, six figures, and a big six figure. Whoa, you're talking about five, six, five. Okay, six. I'll go for this big six figures. Is that right? We we'll go for million lah. They made three hundred thousand on opening night. That's a lot, man. Okay. That's a now, lot. Every. Every Friday night and Saturday night, from that day onwards, till the day they close five years later, they were packed every Friday and Saturday. There's a whole lot of money involved there, man. Yeah. They, were, they made money. You know, so much so when they closed the club uh, five years later, <laughs> uh, the late Ben Farid, one of the best operations manager I ever worked with, said, I sell the chairs for 50 cents each or so I make money. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, man. And, and yeah, you know, and that was like 1998. You know, and uh, surviving clubs that I, I felt at that period of time was uh, still Planet Hollywood. Uh, we had uh, Hard Rock Cafe. We had Emporium. We still had High club, you know. Oh yeah, that was a busy but, street. Everything, all the clubs were, were very much focused over there. I think half of yep. it is gone right now. Half right, three quarters is gone already by now. So now, now you know why the bands had to break up into small bands and uh, like like you said, there were too many cafes coming up. Uh, they couldn't have that big band jobs anymore, you know. They yeah, were forced the, into a corner, and plus, all of a sudden, everybody seemed to get seems to have gotten into the music scene. Everybody's performing. Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's encouraging having more musicians. So I think there's also another reason you have too many bands or performers, which created a big competition in the market itself. Mm. Well, yeah, in a way, you can say that. But they was they were all competing. At that level, mm -hmm. only a handful still maintain the full band. But if you were too big, remember I said club owners would say, why should I pay for a six-piece or a seven-piece? Which is sad. Like. Which would cost me a 1,400 ringgit a night when I can get the same entertainment for three-piece and pay 600 ringgit a night or 800 ringgit below a 1,000. Yeah, true. Because it, it is it is sad because when they started having those kind of mentalities, even the customers started paying less attention to most of these bands. They were just like an accessory on stage. I was, I don't want to mention the name of the club. I did visit it, I think, early last year or late the year before that. And I am a fan of live bands. I'm a sucker for them. It's like when I go to the pub, I make sure that I sit down and watch them, have my drink and watch the band and uninterrupted. Don't have good, I don't go with friends and so on. And uh, I've also noticed that when they were performing, no one actually paid attention to the bands, which was a bit sad. They were trying their level best. The bands were good. But the thing is, the ambience or how it's being sold in such a way that created that perception of, for the customers that, now it's okay, they are just playing music on the side there, just request whenever I want to request, and that's about it. They never really uh, sold the band, never really promoted the band. As a matter of fact, there's also another trend that's uh, been... Uh, messing up the market which was 
The band had to bring in people. They had to do their own marketing. So does the DJ. You walk into the club, you have to promote the club. You have to promote your performances. You have to get customers in. You got to have your database and all this kind of nonsense in order for you to perform in the club, which is, I find it ridiculous. That's what's been going on uh, lately because I was also talking to some PR people, some manage, uh, managers, band managers, some DJs. This, they, they were telling me this, like, hey, dude, if I want to perform in a club, I got to have some database. If I don't have database, I don't bring in X amount of customers, that's it. I'm never going to get a job again. Those kind of nonsense will take place. Hence the reason why you see also in social media these days, bands are pushing it really, really hard to tell where they're performing and what, what's going on and details and such. They were doing the marketing instead of the clubs doing it. So very true. You see, everybody's to blame. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Somebody, somebody might have, must have started it, man. This trend, somebody must have started it and it picked on and what was supposed to be good turned out to be bad for the, the bands themselves. Uh, okay, let's look at it this way. Technology has actually made things good and bad. You know, uh, I mean, I, it's hard for me to judge right now. Like I said, I left the, I left the live scene in 1998. And uh, I went into recording up to the early 2000s. Then I went to event management and then I went to gigs. You know, because why? Uh, there wasn't a, a market for the club bands and the money was like i said instead of getting better it was still the same you know and uh well one thing for sure they did realize that sound was an important thing and uh band members were already cheesed off with the way things were ah uh, true you know they they they've already they've they've already broken up into that. It became a norm. It became a norm that we either be a three piece or even a two piece, or there are some who are one piece also. You know, just to to get that target amount that they're looking for as an income. Yeah, it is. It you is know? a tough market right now. I mean, I feel sorry, especially uh, during this MCO period and all the how I see how the bands are. Uh, the the uh, rough patch they're going through this particular year and also last year, it's like I don't know, man. Where is, where are we headed? What's going on after this? It's like what it scares me to think about what's going to happen in two twenty twenty two. Let's forget about twenty twenty one. Let's think about twenty twenty two. How how what's the future of the uh, music industry, the band industry? That's a big question mark. Gotta have a chat with any of the bands to see what are their plans. But based on your personal experience, uh, knowing this scene, I'm pretty sure you, you've seen the bands from the 80s all the way till the present times, despite being off the scene from 1990, late 90s. What do you think right. is the future like for these bands or the options that they have um, for them? Because I know being just a band member is not going to be an easy thing these days. As years go by, it's going to get tougher. What are the alternatives that you think the bands should be focusing on? Well, uh, online gigs are good, right? But uh, I will look at it as uh, they should take a step into going and doing it uh, more on a, uh, how do you say, professional perspective. Professional perspective. 
which mm-hmm. some pe- some are doing some might not know how to do it you know uh i recently saw on facebook that there are those who are trying to bring in the musicians to actually help them get this uh online gigs going on where it's it's something that they've got to learn how to do like how you've got that beautiful setup behind you oh yes yes, you yes. Know? thanks to lazar yeah, and shapi even though they're not sponsoring this podcast but even though they're not sponsoring this podcast yeah but uh, you see uh, we should move into things like uh, which would be clouds uh, where you have uh, you have your online gigs daily uh, where you actually have a pay per view instead of putting your bank account number and your name up there you know i mean this little things are something which some things which i actually do my hrdf training on now to people okay whereby uh, you utilize what technology has given you right uh, pay per view now 5 ringgit 10 ringgit you know and uh, perform and there are places now that has have actually uh, developed in kl uh, i have one in malacca it's a green screen studio you know it can accommodate a full band with proper sound proper equipment where you can actually have a proper performance all right uh something i just posted on facebook today you know now i mean we get a lot of bitching and complaining everybody saying oh you know how are we going to earn a living pasar malam can but we cannot all right uh, have you ever thought of uh, proposing to the majlis perbandaan let's do a what is this a ppm pentas pasar malam that's a brilliant idea because eventually there are going to be people there anyway okay now if you have pasar malam every you see it's it's what i i said in that that, that caption i uploaded i said baby steps baby steps to get yourself back into the economy true now we know for a fact that the club industry is totally dead yep 2022 maybe 2023 it's going to take a while to recover all right that's one number two hotels the amount of hotels that have shut down oh which is shocking man penang what they had two yep. or three in penang alone and uh, well no, they've building... got they've got loads from malaysia those that can that the big ones that could actually afford live bands and things like that and all they're forced to shut down Ooh. all right so that's another uh, income venue for full bands or bigger bands where they can't do it anymore you know but imagine like if you had a live band right you've been practicing you call yourself xyz or and and you say tonight xyz is performing you know uh click and join us to watch xyz's performance and you put on a good performance solid 45 minutes you charge there you know yeah, some of them are actually used... doing it pardon some of them are actually doing it right now yes and uh, not, and not on a big and, scale a minor one only a few of them yeah so imagine if you if you do it on a big scale you know a big scale that means you watch a pro- proper full six piece band who actually perform like they're doing a club performance uh behind a green screen all right 
or or even behind an LED screen, right? And you charge. And of course, everybody's not going to charge an arm and a leg, you know. But it's everybody supports each other. Every little bit counts. Actually, apart from best- apart from waiting from getting uh, revenue from that, there's another reason why you should be doing, uh, which I believe you should be. Uh, a band should continue doing it, even for DJs. Is that you got to be consistent. You got to remind the people that you you're still around because if you're going to have a long gap by not performing, not showing your face for a very long time, what's going to be ha- what's going to happen is people are going to forget you, and then you're going to come back again and just remind them that hey, I'm here, I'm exi- I exist. Uh, that's going to create a problem. So this you can use this uh, this particular year, perhaps for 2021, as a marketing year to show people of uh, your credibility, your capability, your music, your sound. You know, this would be a good year for you to market yourself via the uh, pay-per-view uh, showcase or whatever you can think of. Yes, yes, that's what I'm talking about. You know, create create the new norm. I mean, at the end of the day, social. That's what social media is all there, all up now for you. Right, Facebook. I mean, let's not talk about Instagram, TikTok, or uh, YouTube for that matter. Also, you know, but we take Facebook Live. You know, that's where majority of the gigs, the current style of gigs, are coming out. You know, but instead of making it a, a, a PKP or MCO thingy, right? Make it a performance. You know, get together. Dress up and perform like you're doing a concert. Yeah, market yourself. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that's, I mean, to all my friends in the industry, you know, you're listening to this, right? Uh, I'm not belittling anybody or... You're just giving saying, options. Yeah, I'm giving you options, options whereby uh, let's do it, you know? Let's just yeah, do it. I, I mean, I'm like what you said, because I know I understand some people are frustrated about what's going on, but then again, sitting down doing absolutely uh, nothing about it is also bad for you. I know you, it's, it's, it's going to cost you a little bit, but at the same time, you never know if you consistently market yourself in the right way and you do it well. Uh, you never know next year when things get back to if or when things get back to normal, people will remind you at one, remind, remember you easily. Because they saw you often on social media, your showcases, they know how good you were, how you could perform. So the first person they come would come into mind would be you. Yeah, that's what that's what I mean. You know, I mean, uh, you you know about the flaming lips, right? Did you hear what yeah. flaming lips did? Yeah, I saw. You should send me the thing. That was an amazing concept of the concert. Maybe I'll try to put the video up here if I can. Uh, yeah. So imagine if if if. If currently, you know, if the authorities would approve something like that, and you get somebody crazy enough to actually open a club, right, and have these bubble pots there, yeah, you know, it's a start. It'd be cool. It'd be cool. It's just because you got, you got to start looking into alternatives. You really got to look into alternatives Sarah, of things happening. I I admire some of my DJ friends who's consistently every week without fail they have their live performance going on. Now, some of them, yes, you pay for to check that out. Some of them are just just doing it. It's like every yeah. week they're performing, entertaining people. I was like, I asked the question, the similar question is like, why are you doing it? It's like then you realize that no, I'm giving back to my fans, my listeners, my followers at the very same time with hopes that when things go back to normal, they'll remember me. So which is amazing, which is truly amazing, which I admire those guys who are consistent and some of them who actually did this live shows. What happened was what started off as 
zero income when they did the so-called pay and all people hardly going on some of them actually are making at least a good 500 to a thousand ringgit per shows i don't know on some big o and some chinese china app or whatever like that they perform on a nightly or maybe twice a week or something like that they generate income through that kind of uh, method so i think it's up to the bands or performers or whoever you can think of to take the initiative to learn about this a little more it's not going to be easy at the starting stage la but eventually you're going to get to the whole thing yeah and, and can can you can you imagine you know if you actually have uh, something like that happening lightly nightly and you have different different uh, groups to choose from you know and and the best part of it right you're not only performing locally to a local club audience you're international yeah that's the thing <laughs> It's you never know. We're 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 international now, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you see, when when I started off, this whole show is like I was narrowing my thoughts to okay, it's only the guys in KL, my few friends. You know, let's do the show among the friends. People keep them entertained during MCO. Then halfway through, things started getting a little more exciting with the, the guest who was coming on board. And then I thought, okay, let's go a little further, go by different stages, focusing on that. And then I realized, like, why stop here? Let's take it international. So you started focusing uh, marketing yourself in different parts of the world, and then you realize you have different audiences, which I swear to God, I do not expect that to happen. It's like when one of the charts that the show uh, reached at number one spot in Cambodia for one of the weeks, I was like, "Oui, I don't know you got Oranaga." Cambodia. Kind of yeah, it was the number one at one of one of those weeks there. I I was in Cambodia two years back, actually. Nice. That's another party capital. And uh, it's 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 it was actually you see if if PKP didn't come in to play I would probably be in Cambodia now. <laughs> you never know, man. I was having plans of traveling the world. <laughs> I I went there and uh, I mean, for example, uh, we were actually thinking of re- relocating our sound like rental, putting a set parking a set of equipment down there. I'll give you an example for weddings, huh? Mm-hmm. Right. They've got a whole stretch on a road of about ten uh, canopies, Ooh. right? And every week there's a wedding, <laughs> right? And there are ten canopies occupied, and the rental for a simple wedding setup of sound, light, LED equipment is four thousand USD per canopy. No shit. Yep. <laughs> You're fucking joking, or what? No, I'm telling you the truth. I went, I went there. I okay, went. I, I have a it very, out. I have a very strong feeling after this bloody uh, this podcast. Most of the event guys sound lights are going to start packing the stuff, <laughs> man. Uh, yeah, actually, actually, uh, I think a lot of people in the industry will know that about two years back or three years back, they were there. There, there were certain parties in Cambodia that were actually looking for. Uh, Malaysian sound like companies to actually go there. Yeah, because you got to think out of the box already. Like it's like seriously, uh, think globally. Like. The good thing, I mean, one of the good things that uh, MCO from this MCO is that you the world is connected right now thanks to internet and thanks to technology. The whole world is connected uh, via so many apps. Like for example, when the DJs uh, got together, they wanted to break the Malaysian Book of Records. They were performing on Mixcloud and they were number one on the stream worldwide 
at a yeah, certain time. Yeah, I, I, I actually saw I actually saw that that last somewhere last year actually. Yeah, so they they were actually in the number one, peaking at trending at number one in the mixed cloud, and this is we're talking about worldwide audience. So that's about people have to use take advantage of the situation right now, and how you want to use it is absolutely up to you. Focus on that, man. True, very true, and uh, I hope I hope um, I, I mean uh, going out to all my musician friends out there. You know, those of you who have already started your own podcast and things like that and all, well, look into proper setups, uh, proper pay-per-views, you know, setups like what you are you are uh, getting me on now for your podcast or so, you know. <laughs> I'm going to charge I you mean, for seriously, that. I you know? seriously, <laughs> seriously, I mean, not, not just going on direct uh, Facebook Live, but actually coming up with this sort of things and uh, moving into global uh, income, you know, uh, where less is more. Yeah. You know, it's. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can reach out globally, uh, which would mean actually instead of performing like small pieces, get together, start forming back big bands, you know, perform like you're supposed to perform. And uh, you do have uh, venues out there that have actually created uh, green screen rooms I know a few in KL that have already started that. A good friend of mine, Sri, has a place, Sri Devan. Uh, I have one in Malacca. Uh, so you know, yeah, and uh, we're open for contact. You know, you you can actually come. Uh, we, we can work together, work something out. You can have a performance every night or we can go alternate nights or once a week. You know, yeah, and... There's, there's uh, and create a proper... I mean, like it's a mixed cloud, like you went on mixed cloud, right? We have cloud sites where you have monetization and uh, where you just play maybe a, a, a few bars or put a few teasers, people like it, and okay, click, five ringgit. Yeah, five there's a lot of sites. Even there's uh, sessions live. Uh, you know, ticketing companies are offering uh, showcases. So there's a lot. It's all about you, what you plan to do and how you want to do it. That's all. Uh, take the time to go on the net and Google it or rather do some homework and see uh, what are the alternatives that you have. There's a lot. There's a whole lot of uh, alternatives out there. It's just up to you to decide whether you want to do it or not. Yeah, and take, take, it to the, take, it, take it the next step. Take it to the higher level, you know. Perform. You know, yeah. do it. Do it. Just as Nike says, just do it. Just do it, man. I'm, I'm just, yeah. I'm just waiting for all to see that, man. Uh, the good thing, like I said, a lot of things, good things have been happening. Also, uh, a lot of things that I've learned from uh, everybody out there. And today is one thing that I've learned from you about bands that uh, the era of bands from the 80s and 90s and what happened back then. I guess I got to one of these days. I got to start picking on one of the bands that who's been performing recently and see what they have, from the, uh, what's on their mind, and what they see things. I but for the uh, to clarify terms and conditions or disclaimer or whatever for this particular podcast. Remember, this show is all about our personal opinion. Our, uh, yeah, you, Tony's uh, one, I mean, sound, and mine is just our perspective, or rather Tony's perspective of what he sees over here. Don't after that come and say, "Hey, Tony, why you say it like that?" Like Tony, hey, hey, how can I? <laughs> don't do that. This is everybody has their own opinion. This is how the view of the entire thing of is going out there. So different people might have different things, but this is based on Tony's experience uh, being in the industry for wow, that's a very long time, man. Thirty-five. I wasn't even years. born before you did that, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
don't let the beard yeah. fool you, love. This is the MCO uh, beard. Am I, I've, got, I've got a white one already. Though. Mine's white. <laughs> you, you have no idea how much your money I invest on my head eye, love. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I, I'll give you an example. I mean, there's uh, recently, those of you who are friends in the industry, there was a charity drive, uh, which from Facebook has gone over to Telegram, from certain members of bands that we know of, you know, who are getting evicted and things like that and all, you know. It's sad. It's sad to say because uh, I watched them try. I watched them try very hard during the MCO period. Uh, some of them have gone into F&B and stalls yeah. and things like that. Uh, let's try and see how you know everybody can come together and get the entertainment scene back on. You know, Don't give up. yeah, we should have uh, stations like uh, yeah, create stations. You know, those of you who are good on the website and applications, you know, help the musicians out. Create, create applications where they can join up and actually have a proper pay-per-view and not just advertise like, you know, it's uh, if, you're, if you're willing to contribute, contribute, but make it a standard contribution fee so that you can watch a show and give yeah. them a show. And you know? for those who have already been using it, I think it's also good for you to share your knowledge a little bit with some of your peers. Let's do all do it together. Like if you have something you already set up, you're already doing it right Maybe some guys who don't know how to do it, you can always share some knowledge on how to do it. Help them out. Yeah. Help a brother out. Yeah, we, and, and who knows, you know, Tony Fernandez might come by with the Asia delivery and send your beers over. You know? Yeah, you know. never know, man. You never know. Anything's <laughs> possible. <laughs> Tony, thank you so much, Tony. It was so much fun talking with you. I mean, after yeah. so many years, since, uh, I can't believe we actually had this chat for almost one and a half hours, man. It's a great chat. One of my favorites. Uh, it, it's a great topic. It's a great topic. I mean, uh yeah 35 years in the entertainment industry uh i've been there seen it done it uh a word out to those who always thought that it was wine women and song nope it was never wine women and song it was never sex drugs and rock and roll it that was, was short because to get the jobs la. yeah but it was <laughs> actually it was actually people with talent and skills coming together earning an honest living yeah, it's, you know? it's an amazing period of time. Man. Yeah, and I miss those days. I really miss those yeah, days. Yeah, but no, got, I would love you, to you know see... The, is, the, the word those days when you use, it's like everybody feels like, oh, why those days, those days? Because trust me, they haven't lived that era, so you wouldn't know what the fun was, man. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm, see, I'm getting goosebumps again, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much exciting when I went chat like this. It's like, people, those days, those days, make it sound so old, but you... You fucks don't you have no idea how much of fun it was, man. The the level oh, of craziness was, is it's like beyond your imagination, man. Yeah, well, you know, I, I keep telling my son who's an audio engineer like me, you know, I said, You should have been mixing for bands back in the eighties, you know, and the nineties. But you'd be surprised uh at other parts of the world, right? You still get this. You still get yeah. what we had in the eighties. Yeah, but here, Neighbors, I don't know why. Like just, Thailand maybe, I mean, still have it. Oh, yeah, that I've seen that. When I was in Bangkok two years ago, and not one and a half years ago, I saw that in the clubs. Yeah, yeah not only Bangkok, you have it in Phuket, you have it in Bangkok. Yeah, I mean, you have it, you still get, I mean, you can still get it there, you know, and musicians are earning a good uh, form of income there just before PKP, you know. So let's use the PKP period to actually maybe make it a practice, uh, re 
a reboot, a restart. You know, Rebranded. utilize all. Yeah, utilize uh, all the technology and the places that have for you to perform. All right. Uh, I know some friends, some old friends. Uh, I don't know if you heard of Sylvester Lou. He used to okay. be a, uh, a very old DJ back in the seventies. Uh, he was working for the Julianas Group together with Sean Salvadurai. They actually oh, came sure. up with yeah. a two. Yeah, they they did a two piece behind a green screen. You know, recorded at this place, and it was a start. You know, but people are trying, right? You too. Musicians, friends out there, get the groups back together, and let's go pay per view. Go for it, man. Go for it. I'll definitely pay for it. I'll definitely look for it. Uh, look forward for it, and uh, definitely share it. Hopefully, I can feature in this particular show. Tony, thank you so much, Tony. It's been great chatting with you. It's amazing. Uh, so, what's up? What's next for you, man? Anything uh, special going on for you? Or are you just gonna chill out first? My food menu comes out next month. <laughs> ah, ah, you see, we see the other side of here. Oh yeah, I love to cook, man. PKP, PKP actually had me cooking every day. Unleashing <laughs> the chefness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I have, I, I have to look for the alternative. Uh, I mean, if the musicians have it bad, I have it worse. I mean, being being in the entertainment event rental uh, industry. And the education sector, we're both affected. Oh, yeah, I, I'm affected both sides, you know. There you also conduct trainings and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I'm a certified HRDF trainer. I'm also an NDTS SLD, SLDN trainer. And uh, so basically, I develop life, courses. Huh? <laughs> Tell me about it, man. Trying to get yeah, to, you... trying to get, understand the alphabets and the <laughs> abbreviations. Sometimes I say, why can't you just say the whole name, man? <laughs> No, confuse the confuse. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you all anyway, the best. I... Yeah, you too, man. Take care. It's great being on the show. Thank you uh, for coming on board and sharing uh, your side of the world with us. It's uh, wonderful. Seriously, it brings back a whole lot of memories. I think tonight uh, when I go to bed, I'm just going to end up dreaming all those stuff again. And the stuff that right, we did, man. the first half we experienced, it's going to be wonderful, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> and great. once again, for those tuning in, don't forget to check out there the uh, well podcast is definitely you're listening to this via the podcast. Uh, please make sure to like, subscribe, follow, uh, share, do whatever you need to do. A compulsory thing. I forgot to say it at the start of the show, so I think I'm going to do it right now. Please share, like, follow, subscribe, do whatever you need to do, and uh, keep it locked on. If you have any suggestions, uh, feel free to drop me a line. I'll be more than happy to uh, feature whoever you want me to feature if I can get them on time. And uh, for the rest of the part of the world, hey, Happy New Year. Happy Chinese New Year. Kong Hei Pai Choi. That's what I want to say. I don't want to use the word Chinese New Year anymore. Apparently, Kong Hei Pai Choi means I hope you get rich. So I'm going to tell that to everybody. <laughs> Kong Hei Pai Choi. Fat, fat is rich, no? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hope you get rich, man. All right, Danny, thank yeah, you so man. much, man. Have a nice day, dude.